So this morning we are looking at a story in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 10, um, the, the whole thing. So story time at Renew, I'm going to read the whole thing, it's a lot, um, so bear with me and just pretend like you're a kid again, if you're not a kid, and we're like just reading this story before bedtime, because it's, it's a good story. I've never taught on this story before, and I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, there's way too much here, um, so sort of a, a very focused one-note message this morning, um, but I think, I think it's worth it. I think it's good. So uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, the whole chapter, before we, it'll be on the screens. Um, before we read it, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open us up in all the ways that, that we need it. And as we look at this story and as we sort of enter into it ourselves and as questions begin to form in our, our minds and as you, Spirit, do whatever it is you do with each of us, we pray that we would hear your voice and that, that you would speak, and that you would, would move us, and that maybe it would spark something new inside of us. It might spark, uh, spark the need to have a conversation with somebody. And so we, we come with a sense of anticipation and hope uh, that you would do something in us, in this place. Uh, we belong to you. Do with us as you will. In Jesus' name. So Acts chapter 10, starting at, at verse 1. At Caesarea, <clears throat> there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Regiment. So, He's a, a Gentile. Uh, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. So something about the, the Jewish faith, something about um, the Hebrew God has been attracted to them. And so they're like, you know, we're kind of interested in all of this. Right? He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, so... Let me just say a word about that. Three in the afternoon, this Gentile, this outsider, is engaged in, um, in a practice, a Jewish practice called fixed hour prayer. At three in the afternoon, here's, a, here's one of those times during the day that you stop and you pray. So it's three in the afternoon, he's praying. He has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, don't get them confused, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. 
About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray, because this is what you do at fixed hour prayer time, noon. He went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter said. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I know what the Bible says. I'm not supposed to do that. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about this, the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Again, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, so this stuck with him. It's running through his brain. He can't shake it. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the, man, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So there's some of his Jewish buddies coming along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's the guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, and how God appointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. 
But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers among them, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. We will go that far. Is that a good story? That is a good, 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 good story. So, you know, sometimes things happen in the world that change the world forever. Sometimes events happen that are so disruptive that they, they cause us to rethink nearly everything. Suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, now what do we do? Sometimes things happen. Sometimes these disruptions are so huge that we have to rethink everything, or it just changes everything. Think about the, invent in, in, the invention of the printing press. All right, we always go to the same ones, so I'm going to go to the same ones. The printing press changed everything. Before, it used to be only a few people could read, have knowledge, which led to power, so wealth. Only the wealthy, only the powerful could read. After the printing press, suddenly it was all kinds of people began to learn, right? And so the collective knowledge of, the, of humanity began to expand and grow and get larger. And it, it sort of sent us on this path, right, that we're on today. Most people now learn how to read. And if people don't, like there are people who work towards making other, helping other people become literate because we know how important it is, right? The printing press changed the world forever. Think about the invention of the telescope, which, by the way, was invented by Dutch people in the Netherlands in 1608. I am Dutch. I didn't know this. I'm so happy. Like, I can claim that as part of my heritage. Dutch people changed the world forever by inventing the telescope. It changed the world forever. Like it used to be, or it was first used to, to sort of look out on, on the land, right? It was used by militaries to figure out uh, where other armies were putting their troops, and it helped them be successful in battle. But then a small group of scientists among whom Galileo was a part, decided, you know what? Um, we're going to point these puppies at the sky, right? And they learned all sorts of different things. They figured out that the earth is not the center of the universe. It's not even the center of our own solar system. The sun is. They figured out that our solar system is heliocentric, right? It changed how we view our place in the universe. We're not the center. We are not that important. 
right? It changed even how we read the Bible. Remember the big kerfuffle about that? Because the Bible has some very specific things to say about creation and the way the world works and how it's all laid out. The earth is flat, has four corners, has a dome above and a dome below to hold back the waters, and every once in a while God will release the waters. Well, we figured out that's not exactly true. What do we do with that? So important work had to be done about how do we read the Bible? Significant work. So the telescope changed everything. And that's saying nothing about the modern telescope that we have, right? The James Webb Space Telescope. That's like, holy moly, I can't wait to see what that brings to us. Think about more recently, disruptive things that happen in the world that change things forever. The internet. Are there enough words we can say to describe the amount of change the internet has given us? Right? If the printing press expanded knowledge, the internet is expanding knowledge right, infinitely more. Think about the invention of social media changing the world forever. Some of it good, some of it awful. But it's changing the world forever. Think about this. We now have Teslas running around all over the place in Ames. I never thought we'd see the day I wasn't very smart. Electric cars have the ability to change the world forever. As we bec- it may even change the balance of power in the world as we become less and less dependent on fossil fuels, right? Sometimes things happen in the world that change things forever, cause us to rethink things. And today, things are changing so quickly, we can hardly keep up to it. All we can say is, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow that's just going to bust open my worldview. It's going to change the way I think. It's changing so fastly. Here's why I bring this up. This story in the book of Acts tells of a thing, an event, that was so disruptive, it changed the church, the trajectory of the church forever, caused church people to rethink everything. So let's get into it. In the story, we have two men. We've got Cornelius, an outsider. We've got Peter, the insider. Both of them have visions from the divine. Cornelius has a vision that gives him a glimpse of a couple of steps ahead. Peter is given a glimpse into a future and a trajectory for the church for all eternity that will change things forever. So we'll start with Cornelius. It's the middle of the afternoon, right? He's praying when all of a sudden he sees an angel, and the angel calls out his name, Cornelius. Freaked out of his mind, he's like, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, you're a good man, Cornelius. You really are. God is pleased with you. God loves it that you're a man of prayer. God loves it that you take care of the poor. Now do this one thing for me. Send some people to Joppa to bring back a guy named Simon Peter who lives by the sea. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, so make sure you get the right Simon, the one called Peter. Do that. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? No big deal. Actually, This is a big deal. This is the beginning of a divine disruption. First, apparently, God communicates with outsiders. God is actually pleased with some outsiders. 
Second, apparently God wants this outsider to meet this insider guy named Peter, and this relationship is going to have some, side, some sort of great influence on his life. This is a disruption for Cornelius. So he sends people to Peter. Scene cuts to Peter. While Peter's on the rooftop praying, gets hungry, falls into some sort of trance. He has a vision of this mysterious sheet coming out of heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it. Then he hears a voice, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter can't believe it. He's like, Lord, I can't. You know I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I don't break your law. I'm familiar with what the Bible says, and I can't go against it. And the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That happens once, twice, three times, because apparently Peter needs more help. Right? So it happens three times. Peter still can't figure it out. He had to be thinking to himself, I'm part of the chosen nation. I have to remain pure. I have to remain clean. I have to remain holy because God is pure. God is clean. God is holy. And I have to reflect that back to the world. At the same time, the words of God are on repeat in his head. They're staying with him. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. What is happening here? And as he's thinking about this, there's a knock on the door. This unclean Gentile men that Cornelius sent, they finally show up. And the Spirit says, go with them, for I've sent them. So he goes. And when he gets there, he finally figures out what the vision of the sheep means. So he stands up in a crowd of unclean outsiders and he says this, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Can't even go in their house. Can't do it. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter figures out the vision. God's love and grace and healing and forgiveness aren't just for the Jews, the chosen ones. God's love is for the whole world. The whole world. He finally sees God's grand vision for the future, for all of eternity, and understands that he gets to be a part of it. But God has shown me. How did God show him? Through a divine disruption. Through that vision. See, Peter had this paradigm. Peter had this, this particular way of seeing the world and understanding who God is and what it means to follow God. Then he has this experience that doesn't fit with any of it, and it's blowing his mind. And how does he react? Eventually he goes, but at first, what does he do? He's like, no, I can't do that. He resists. Of course, this is hard. This is really hard. But notice how he resists. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean. You know what he's doing there? He's he's using his understanding of who God is and his understanding of what it means to follow God as an excuse not to follow God. 
He's using his understanding of who God is and what it means to follow God as an excuse not to follow God. That's a thing. That's a thing. But in this moment, God is calling Peter to grow, to grow through divine disruption. God is doing a new thing. God can do new things. Newsflash. God is inviting Peter into more freedom, into more inclusion, and into more complexity. This makes things harder. More freedom, more inclusion, more complexity. It used to be that he couldn't eat at all. Now he can eat at all. It used to be that he had a system that told him who was clean and who was unclean. Now all are included all of a sudden. It used to be simple. Some people are clean. Some people are unclean. But now some people he used to think are unclean aren't. Complex. More freedom, more inclusion, more complexity. That's what the Spirit is up to in this story. And I believe in the book of Acts, and I believe still today, more freedom, more inclusion, more complexity. This is hard, but none of it should surprise us. Like none of it should surprise us. At least if we're familiar with the stories about Jesus in the Bible. Right? Jesus spent three years walking around, breaking all the established religious purity laws so that he could welcome those who were previously unwelcome. Remember, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's a no-no. He touched people with leprosy. A no-no. He allowed a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years who was unclean touch his cloak. Uh-uh. He touched a, a little dead girl's corpse. He healed the daughter of a Gentile woman, a Syrophoenician woman. He even had a whole slew of teachings on purity laws, what's considered clean and what's considered unclean. And he completely redefined, reimagined the whole deal. Friends, we could go on and on and on about how Jesus did this type of thing. He completely, completely changed our approach to purity. Instead of purity of law, he challenged his followers to a new, higher, better system, a purity of love and inclusion. Jesus was the ultimate divine disruptor, so none of this should surprise us. And this story here is all about disruption. They're all over the place. God disrupts the lives of Cornelius and Peter with visions disrupted Peter with an experience of strangers, people who think differently than him, strangers at his door with an invitation. Peter went with some friends and began to understand the vision of the sheet with the animals. He began to preach a sermon, and then one more disruption. He's preaching in the middle of a sermon. While he was still speaking, the Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. This, by the way, is my hope for every Sunday. Because if that doesn't happen, we're all in trouble. My hope is that the Spirit disrupts you. Your mind goes off into a different corner. You ask different questions. You start thinking of different experiences that you have. You start wondering about this over here. Go. Go with it. Who cares what I'm saying in the moment? 
Go with it. The Spirit is disrupting you, is up to something, and that's good, that's beautiful, that's what I hope for, it's what I want. Go with it. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the message. The circumcised Jewish believers there, who had come with Peter, were astonished. They're like, what? That the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter was like, oh my, they've been given what we, the insiders, have been given? I guess we'll go with it. Let's baptize them. It wasn't, well, they have to become Jews first. Let's circumcise them real quick. Then we'll baptize them. Let's make sure they're committed to, to not eating what they're supposed to not eat, and then we'll baptize them. None of that. Oh, let's just baptize them. Welcome. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. It's almost as if, it's like someone rolled up to Cornelius' house during the first century in a Tesla. They were all like, whoa, what is this? Or it's like somebody in the first century handed them a telescope and said, when it gets dark tonight, point this puppy at the sky and see what you see. They'd be like, boom, minds blown. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Divine disruption changed everything. Divine disruptions. Disruptions are like that, right? And they challenge us to grow, to change, to expand our thinking. And it happens all the time when we travel to a new place, when we meet new people, when we taste something new, when we hear a different perspective, when we, when we listen to the discoveries that scientists are making that change the way we think about the world works and how we think and how we believe. You can either ignore those experiences, you can either just pretend they didn't happen, or you can allow them, you can sit with them and allow them to, to open you up to more freedom, to more inclusion, to more complexity. Have you had experiences like that? What do I do with that and where does it move you? You can either ignore it or you can allow them to open you to more freedom, inclusion, and complexity. I want to not quite end, but close with some words from Rob Bell, who's commenting on this story. I want you to hear this. He says, my hope is that this brings you tremendous encouragement as you grow and change and see new things. Perhaps you are handed a way of seeing the world and reading the Bible that doesn't work for you anymore. And yet that previous way of understanding still has a strange power over you. Maybe it's the people who taught you that or raised you to think like that or told you that was the only way to see it. And if you reject that one understanding, you would suffer. Or maybe you were marinated in a calm, cool, rational world of evidence and data in which the only things that can be trusted are the facts. You refer yourself to yourself as the logical, rational type who doesn't go for fairy tales. But the truth is, you've had experiences that don't fit into any of your nice, neat, modern categories. You might even use the word divine, but not in front of certain friends or family or colleagues. 
Wherever you're coming from, don't deny disruptions. Don't panic when the room spins because you've seen something real and life-giving and beautiful and good and hopeful that doesn't fit into any of your boxes. It's okay. You're not the first. That's how it works. That's how we grow. I like that. I like that a lot. One more thing. It may take a few divine disruptions to get any of us to take a step. Might take more than a few. Look, Peter had three times he had to see this vision. But think about, think about Peter. He spent three years walking around with Jesus, the ultimate divine disruptor. Three years. When I said this shouldn't surprise us, I'm like, how did Peter not see this right away? Why did he need this vision of the sheet coming down with animals? Because this is hard. This is hard. It took a vision with sheep coming down with animals and an invitation to, to, from outsiders to get him to finally understand that's what Jesus was up to. And then even after this experience, you can see Peter, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you can see Peter continually struggling with what does this all mean? Right? It was like take two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. So don't be afraid of disruptions. Maybe even ask for them. Invite them. Then pay attention to them. Embrace them. They may lead us to a greater understanding of who God is and how God wants the world to be. They may lead us into, into more freedom into greater inclusion and more complexity, right? But that's a good thing. Let's pray.